All right, good to see everybody here this morning. You're here, you made it, it's good. Um, sound like Jim, Jimmy Fallon, did you know, did you get it? Oh, the shirt, oh, the shirt, yeah. <laughs> if you were a kid in the 80s, you'd get this. If you're younger, you probably won't, but. We uh, started a series a couple weeks ago on the book of Jonah, this tiny little book in the Old Testament easily lost. It's usually just a page or two in your, in your Bible, four little short chapters. And um, we did a little bit of an intro, and today we're going to kind of finish off chapter one in this, um, in this book. Uh, to read this book properly, you need to understand this is a very unique book. Um, there's no other book in the Bible like this. It is a book that has a lot of exaggeration. It's actually supposed to be funny. And, um, I mean, if, if all the books of the Bible were like different TV shows on Netflix, this would be the, the comedy show. Uh, this book is meant to be exaggerated and big and funny and stretching and to pull us in these weird directions because everything is upside down in this book. I mean, the good guys are the bad guys and the bad guys are the good guys. I mean, Jonah, who is supposed to be the, the faithful prophet, is, is completely faithless, running in the opposite direction that God wants him to go. And the most bloodthirsty king, that, one, at least one of the most bloodthirsty kings in history, uh, repents after a short little five-word sermon. And I mean, everything is backwards. Even the cows seem to be repenting in this book. It's just a strange book. But it's meant to bring us to this point where God kind of holds a mirror up to God's people and challenges one of the most uh, you know, dangerous things in us, and that is our tendency sometimes towards tribalism and judgmentalism and this, this sense of superiority. And this book really challenges us in that. It's sort of the main purpose of this book. The main purpose of this book is not about Jonah being swallowed by a whale or a fish. Um, so, so Jonah uh, is this crazy guy, and uh, he runs away from God. This is what we talked about last week. He runs completely in the opposite direction. God asks him to go to Nineveh, the city that was you know, historically one of the most brutal people of the day. And God asked Jonah, hey, would you go and chat with these folks? Because God is like, these people aren't being very nice. And would you go chat with them? And Jonah's like, no way. And he runs the other way. And just reading the story, we might expect that the reason Jonah ran was because he didn't want to die. You know, just imagine like going in front of this the most brutal nation and saying, hey, you know, God's not very happy with the way you're acting. Would you, would you like to accept God in your life or something like that? I mean, it just seems like a scary thing. So we think that's why Jonah runs, but that's actually not why he runs. He doesn't run away because he is scared of, of talking to these people. He runs away because he knows God is more loving and more gracious than he wants God to be. He's, he's, he's actually concerned that God is too loving. <laughs> and, and he says this very thing in Jonah 4. This is after, you know, the king and the city and the cows all repent and put on sackcloth. And, and he complains to the Lord. And he says, didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That is why I ran away to Tarshish. And this is kind of supposed to be funny too, because Tarshish was like the end of the known world. It's like when we say, you know, he ran to Timbuktu or he ran to the other side of the universe. He went to Pluto. Uh, Tarshish was the last port before the open ocean of the known world. And so he runs as far as he possibly can away because 
He says, I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. Because he's like, I knew, God, you were going to show them grace and mercy, and so I didn't want to be a part of that. And again, this kind of exposes our heart sometimes because we often want to make God out into our own image in terms of, you know, God loves those who I love and God hates those who I hate and God's into the things that I'm into and he, he's not into the things that I'm not into and that makes me uncomfortable, so that makes God uncomfortable. And I like this, so God likes this. And we just make him like us. And Jonah was kind of doing that. I don't like those people, so God, I don't want you to love them or have grace on them. So he runs away. And, uh, and so that's kind of where the book is going. But we left off with uh, Jonah running to Tarshish, and he gets aboard this ship, and uh, he's going to get as far away as possible. And so in verse 4, we open up our story today. It says, but the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. And in the Hebrew, this is, this is a great storm, and this is a, a common theme in the Hebrew that everything is just big and great in this book. It's a, it's a great storm, it's a great fish, and it's a great city, and it's, everything is just big and, and huge. And so this big storm hits the boat that Jonah is on. And it says in this passage that the Lord hurled the storm or was behind the storm. Um, but it's important to realize that, you know, just because there's a storm doesn't mean God's behind every storm. Seemed he was behind this one. Uh, but God's not behind every storm, because if you think that, like God is sort of controlling the weather 100% of the time, you end up in, in really dangerous territory. I mean, I mean, there have been storms that have killed thousands of people, hundreds of thousands of people. I think that the most deadly storm in all of history was in Bangladesh in the 70s. It killed like over 300,000 people. And to think that, you know, God did that uh, is, uh, you know, is an abuse of this idea of, of God is, is love, uh, but we do see in the story that, in the Bible, that God doesn't always cause storms. Sometimes it's caused by the enemy. Sometimes it just seems that it's just a random part of this free world and this free universe. In fact, Luke 8 is almost a parallel passage to the book of Jonah because here we see a storm and we see someone sleeping. And this, this one says, as they sailed across, this is Jesus and his disciples. Jesus settled down for a nap. But soon a fierce storm came down on the lake. And the boat was filling with water, and they were in real danger. The disciples went and woke him up, shouting, Master, Master, we're going to drown. When Jesus woke up, he said, Don't worry, God caused the storm. It's all going to be okay. <laughs> That's not what he said. He actually rebukes the storm, it says. When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and the raging waves. Suddenly the storm stopped and all was calm. It seems in the story God's not the one who caused this storm because it'd be kind of weird that, you know, the father's like, oh, I'm making a storm. And Jesus is like, no, I rebuke you, Father, for creating the storm. It's like, it gets all kind of, kind of fusing when you think about the Trinity and like, what in the world's going on? This one, maybe it was caused by the enemy. Maybe it was just caused by the free nature of this world and the things that happen. Um, and so, I mean, it's, it's hard to pinpoint all that stuff. But anyways, um, in the story, we see... God hurls a storm for a purpose in, in, this, in this. And so it says, Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help and threw the cargo overboard to lighten the ship. But all this time, Jonah was sound asleep down in the hold. And, and so this is a great storm, and these people are freaking out, and they're, they're these pagan sailors, and they're just calling out to whatever god they can to get it to stop because it was just a common belief back in those days that whatever happened... 
was the result of some god. You know, if a god was angry, then something blew up or exploded or got bad or something went wrong. And so they're praying to all these gods, trying to find the god who is in charge of this storm. And uh, maybe you, if you didn't grow up a Christian, you remember doing this kind of thing. I mean, I didn't grow up a Christian, and I remember sometimes and when something crazy was going on, you didn't know who to call out to, and so you're, you know, trying all these kinds of things, trying to get the attention of some sort of God or spirit or something out there, and that's what these sailors are doing. But Jonah is down at the bottom of the boat, and he is asleep. So the captain went down after him. How can you sleep at a time like this? Now, I kind of doubt Jonah was actually sleeping. I think this is part of this, this sort of comedic, exaggerated part of the story. Because it's pretty unlikely Jonah would be sleeping. At least I think so. I mean, for one, Jewish people were terrified of the water. Uh, scholars note, for instance, like at the end of the book of Revelation, if you've ever read that weird book, where it says, in the new world, the new heavens and the new earth, new earth, there will be no longer any sea. And some people are like, Bummer, I like the ocean, I like swimming. Uh, what do you mean there's going to be no longer ocean? That's not, the, the book is very figurative, and scholars uh, point out that the, the idea is there is no longer going to be anything to be afraid of in the new heavens and the earth, because Jewish people were terrified of the water. They weren't water people. And here is Jonah, this Israelite, and he's way out in the middle of the ocean, and, and, and there's a storm, this crazy storm that is so scary that these sailors who are used to water are freaking out, and they're throwing cargo over the ship and just trying to do anything they can. And supposedly Jonah's sleeping. Yeah, it's possible. But anyways, this, he's like, well, how can you sleep at a time like this? And get up and pray to your God. Maybe he will pay attention to us and spare our lives. Now, Jonah was a prophet. And he is the guy whose job was <laughs> to be the middleman. Uh, he's sleeping on the job. I mean, have you ever fallen asleep at work? You know, the, these, these chairs, if you turn them right, make a really nice bed. You know, I, you know. <laughs> you know when you get tired in the afternoon, you just want to crash in the church. They, they're very comfortable. Um, Jonah is supposed to be the prophet, but he's sleeping on the job. And, and it's costly when you fall asleep on the job. You know, I fell asleep once when I was supposed to be doing my job, driving my car. Uh, I remember once, we, we, maybe like four or five years ago, we, we landed, we, this, our plane was supposed to land in Spokane like at 11, but it was delayed and didn't land until like 1.30, and we came from a different time zone, and so it was like four in the morning, but I thought, you know, I can do it, I can drive home, and it was going okay for a while, you know, whatever, try to keep yourself away, you know, stop it, run around the car, but when I got to Castlegar, I, we ended up in the snowbank, woke up, <laughs> off the road, it was like, you know, five in the morning or something like that. And, uh, and I was like, what am I going to do? Luckily, we were going slow and just going off the road in the snowbank. And, uh, you know, I, I, uh, I was like, I think I can dig this out. And so I went to someone's house. I didn't want to wake them up. So I just borrowed their shovel off their deck and spent an hour digging out my car and got it out, put the shovel back and made it home. But I didn't fall asleep after that. <laughs> but, I mean, I really put my wife in danger because she was in the car. I put myself in danger. This is what happens when you fall asleep at work. And Jonah... I mean, he is a prophet. He is the one who is to be praying and, and being God's representative and loving people and reaching out to people. I mean, Samuel is a prophet, and he says, As for me, far be from me that I should sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you. 
and I will teach you the way that is good and right. I mean, this is part of Jonah's job description to be praying for people and ministering to people and loving people. And he's just sleeping down <laughs> during the storm and he's not worried about these people. I mean, he's just trying to get away from God. Jesus put it this way, direct turning this kind of towards our, our hearts. Jesus said, you are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. The, Jesus said, we are the light of the world, each one of us. Because we have the light of Jesus in us, we are the light of the world, and, and we to, to be loving people so that people praise God. I mean, that's part of our job description, but we can sleep at that sometimes and pull back and, and, and take our light and, and hide under a basket and sleep when, when we need to be praying and we need to be loving and we need to be serving. Paul put it another way. He put it this way in 1 Corinthians 5. God has given us the task of reconciling people to Him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. Against them. Do you know that's true for you? Yeah. It's amazing how often we know about forgiveness and God's forgiveness. We still think God is somehow counting our sins against us. Like, one day I'm going to get you for that. No. It's covered. You're forgiven. It's not, it's not coming back. It's not forgiveness when God says, I forgive you, but you know, later up I'm going to bring it up at Judgment Day, or I'm going to bring it up later on because you know, I didn't really forgive you. I mean, you forgive someone, you're done. <laughs> right? Uh, no longer counting people's sins against them. And He gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making this appeal to us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God because he loves you and he cares about you and he wants to shine grace on you. And, and we are that light. We are the, the Jonah, but we shouldn't be the sleeping Jonah. We need to be the Jonah who's staying up and said, you know, there's a storm going on. Let's pray. Let's, let's call on God and, and let's, let's see something happen. Let's see a, a miracle happen here. But Jonah's still asleep. The crew's desperate. So it says, then the crew cast lots to see which of them had offended the gods and caused the terrible storm. When they did this, the lots identified Jonah as the culprit. Jonah wasn't going to do it. He's sleeping. They don't know what to do. And so, you know, one of the ways people made decisions back then was they cast lots, which would be stones or bones or sticks or something that would kind of help the, you know, the gods would cause them to fall in the right spot and determine, you know, should I do this or this or who's the bad guy or the good guy or whatever. Um, this is a common thing done in, uh, you see it all throughout the Old Testament, even, even the New Testament. This is a side note for people who are like history people. <laughs> um, but we see people who, you know, following God, casting stones, like in Obadiah. It says, foreign invaders carried off their wealth and cast lots to divide up Jerusalem. So how do we divide up the city? And so we see these people who aren't following God using lots to figure out. We see in John, for Jesus' clothes, it says the Roman soldiers, they divided Jesus' clothes and they cast lots for who was going to get the garments. So we see folks who, you know, kind of outside the kingdom casting lots. But we also see people in God's kingdom casting lots in the Old Testament. <laughs> it's not just a pagan sailor thing, but, but God's people clearly did this. In Numbers 27, it says, 
when the direction from the Lord is needed, Joshua will stand before Eliars the priest and will use the Urim, one of the sacred lots cast before the Lord to determine his will. This is how Joshua and the rest of the community of Israel will determine everything they should do. And they would do this. They, I mean, Joshua 18 says they cast lots in the presence of the Lord as they kind of decided where people could live. They made decisions. Like ancient people made decisions. Both God, people in the kingdom and outside the kingdom cast lots to figure out what the gods or God wanted. And um, funny enough, we even see this in the New Testament, Acts chapter 1. It says, then they cast lots and, you know, this is when Judas kind of went squirrely and they wanted to replace him. And so who's going to be the 12th disciple? They made the decision by casting lots, probably little stones or sticks or whatever they used. Uh, then they cast lots and Matthias was selected to become an apostle with the other 11. But after Acts chapter 1, you don't see anybody casting lots anymore. And most scholars would, would assume, and this is kind of the... the the tradition of Christianity is we don't cast lots anymore in terms of stones because we have the Holy Spirit. And now we are led by the Spirit. And so as we make decisions, we say, God, what are you saying? And we listen to what the Spirit is saying inside our being. And we listen as a group as we pray together to make decisions. And so after Acts chapter 1, we see words like this. Walk by the Spirit. Or John 16 uh, when the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. And so this idea of learning to listen to God is very important. And as followers of Jesus, when we need to make decisions, sure, we, we talk to other folks and we, we look at things, but we also want to listen to God and say, God, what do you say? Now, I don't know if you're like me, but I still have the temptation to cast lots. Now, I don't throw sticks, but sometimes I'm like, God, if you don't want me to go to this meeting, would you turn the light red and that next light red? <laughs> That is essentially casting loss in a way, but, <laughs> but we want to be listening to God anyway. So that's just a kind of a side note on casting lots. So back to the story. So the lots identified Jonah as the culprit. Uh, Jonah is the one who is behind the gods being angry and, and causing this storm. And so they go to Jonah. Why has this awful storm come down on us? They demanded. Who are you? What is your line of work? What country are you from? What is your nationality? I mean, you ever been in trouble by somebody and they're just asking you all these questions and you're like, well, can't I even answer? And Jonah does. I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the land. And this is what the laugh track is supposed to be. Ha, ah, really, Jonah? <laughs> you, worship, you worship the Lord? <laughs> he's, he's running in the opposite direction. He's, he's doing the exact opposite thing to worshiping God. And... And, uh, but I mean, this is part of all of us. Uh, Jesus talked about folks, and we find this in our own hearts at times, where he says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And all of us do this. I mean, you know, we say we, we worship God, and then we like talk nasty about somebody and not love them. And, and, you know, I worship God, but then we just do something that's totally not what Jesus would do in a situation. And, and, we, and we just want to be just continually listening to the Spirit. And be, be hearing God, and, and God, would you continue to soften my heart and help me to walk more in line with you and love and the kingdom. And so that our, that our words and our actions line up with our heart and, and our worship and trying to bring that into, into alignment. But Jonah, just like happens to us sometimes, was really out of ali alignment at this point. And um, so Jonah says, 
that I am a Hebrew and I worship the God who made the earth and the, and the sea and, the, and, and my God made the ocean. And so the sailors were terrified when they heard this. Because now they really know it's Jonah's fault and they know Jonah's God is really, really upset or something. And this is why the storm was so bad that they were throwing cargo out and all this stuff. And so they were terrified. For he already told them he was running away from the Lord. Oh, why did you do it? They groaned. And since the storm was getting worse all of the time, they asked him, what should we do to stop the storm? Throw me into the sea, Jonah said, and it will become calm again. I know this terrible storm is all my fault. Now, was Jonah being repentant here and like, I finally give up and uh, it's my fault and so just throw me in the sea? Or was Jonah like, because he does say this later on. He's, you know, he's like, just kill me. <laughs> he's so mad. He's like, I just want to die. And, and maybe he's just like, he is so does not want God to love those kinds of people that he said, I would rather just die. And there are times when our hearts can get so hard towards somebody who has really hurt us, who has really done damage to us, and we're like, I just don't want God to show them any grace. I would rather die. And Jonah is at that point. He says, throw me into the sea. But, but these sailors, I mean, they actually got good hearts. Uh, they don't do it. Instead, the sailors rode even harder to get the ship to land. But the stormy sea was too violent for them and they could not make it. They didn't want to throw this guy in the sea and so they just rode harder and harder, but they couldn't do it. And then they cried out to the Lord, Jonah's God. And notice who's praying. It's not Jonah. <laughs> it's these pagan sailors. I mean, they're doing Jonah's job. I mean, this is why this book is upside down. Jonah's not doing what he's supposed to and all the people who aren't supposed to be doing what they're not supposed to be doing are doing what Jonah should be doing. And so they start praying to Jonah's God. Oh Lord, Yahweh would be the, the Hebrew word here. They, they pleaded, don't make us die for this man's sin and don't hold us responsible for his death. Oh Lord, you have sent the storm upon him for your own good reasons. We're not involved in this, so why are you causing this storm? And then the sailor said, you know, I don't want to die. They pick up Jonah and they chuck him into the sea, you know. Uh, so they throw him into the raging sea and the storm stopped at once. Hey, imagine what a miracle that would be. That's a crazy miracle. I mean, it was crazy enough that the next verse says, the sailors were awestruck by the Lord's great power and they offered him a sacrifice and vowed to serve him. They were converted right there. I mean, yeah. And this happens. You know, uh, a lot of people who give their heart to Jesus, especially in nations like China and Africa and Asia, are converted because of miracles. It's the most common way. They, someone all of a sudden is miraculously healed or something miraculously happened and all of a sudden they're like, wow, okay, this God is real. I, I'm in, right? I mean, ha have any of you here, it's less common here, but have any of you been converted because of a miracle? Like you gave your heart because of a miracle, yeah? One here, yeah. I mean, it happens. I mean, our God can work. I mean, how, how many of you have had a miracle happen in your life? Yeah, almost everyone. You, I mean, I mean, God can do this kind of thing. Now, I wish he did it more. <laughs> I think we all do. Um, I mean, I wish it would happen all the time. I wish it was by flicking a switch and God would do miracles. It, it, it's, it's mysterious how it all works. I can't figure it out. But at times, he steps in and does incredible miracles. And, and this, was, this was just one of them. And then, this is the end of the episode. It's a cliffhanger. Now the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three 
nights. I mean, just, just crazy. It's just a crazy story. I mean, he's running to the end of the world, and these sailors, and they're praying, and Jonah's not, and he's sleeping when he's supposed to be awake, and he gets thrown over, and all of a sudden this, this great big fish gobbles him up, and he's inside this fish for three days and three nights. And this is where we find Jonah, this idea appearing in the New Testament. Jesus actually quotes this. In Matthew 12, Jesus says, For as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights, so will the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. See, a lot of the book of, he, uh, 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 the book of Jonah, we miss it because it's translated into English, but a lot of the Hebrew is kind of comedic and exaggerated and funny, and, and there's themes. One of the themes is Jonah going downhill. He goes down from his hometown into Joppa. He goes from Joppa down into the ship. And then he goes into the ship. He's, he's, he's down in sleep. And then he goes down off the ship, down into the ocean. And then he's like down in, this, in the fish as well. I mean, he is, he wanted to die. He's like, throw me over. Like, he is completely at rock bottom. I mean, he's, he's just down, 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 down. He's running from God. And, and he's just like, just kill me now. <laughs> he's at the bottom. And who meets him at the bottom? the grace of God. And Jesus says, and this sums up the ministry of Jesus, just as Jonah was at the bottom for three days and three nights, so I'm going to be at the bottom for three days and three nights. Because Jesus meets us in our lowest spot. He meets us in our brokenness. I mean, Jesus, like we say sometimes, his love is like water. It always flows to the lowest place in our lives. And Jonah was at his lowest. I mean, he just thought this was going to be the end. I mean, in the middle of a storm, if I got tossed off the boat, I'm pretty sure this is it for me. I'm sure he thought that. And then God, grace catches him. And wherever you are, perhaps you're at your lowest. Perhaps there's just a, a part of your life that right now you're just like, it's kind of a low spot in my life. You know, other things are going okay, but the spot here is, is pretty low. God's grace is there. And he wants to meet you in that spot. And he wants to hold you in that spot. And so as we close, I'm going to just invite the worship team up. Just acknowledge a spot in your life, a place in your life, maybe that you're just feeling low. Has been a spot that's kind of down. Maybe it's something to do with anxiety, depression. Maybe it's financial worries. Maybe it's a health concern. And God wants to let you know you're not alone. Maybe other people don't stand it. Maybe you don't even understand it yourself, but God understands. That's why Jesus went to the cross to, to show us that he meets us at the lowest place, at the worst spot, in the deepest darkness. He meets us there. And so let's take a moment to acknowledge the love of God and his grace around holding, loving that area of darkness. Now, God speaks into our being, into our spirit. And just, God, what do you have to say to me in this moment? What do you want to say to me in this moment?
God, I thank you that you are loving us so deeply in this moment. And you're holding us. God, that your grace is there. God, that you are our rock and our shield and our hope and our strength when everything else seems to be just falling apart. God, we hold on to you. We love you. We thank you that you never leave us nor forsake us, even in the bottom of the ocean, in the belly's whale. 